Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Arduino Edivision podcast. Thanks for listening. We are Roxana and Melissa from Arduino Education. If you missed the last episode, you can find the links on our Edivision website. Remember that we publish a new episode weekly with a new guest. That's right. And in our second episode, we talk about open source and education with Natalie Duponcel, a PhD candidate in educational technology at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. That was a really good discussion. And um, AI, artificial intelligence, it's it's not like science fiction anymore, right? No. Nope. So it's here and it's fundamentally changing the way we live, the way we shop, the way we drive. So that's why today we will discuss self-driving vehicles, the future of automated driving systems, and the opportunities in education with our special guest, Chetin Merichli. Welcome. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. How are you? All good. Thank you. Good. Thank you. And thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. So Chetin Merichli, PhD, is the CEO and co-founder of Locomation, a leading developer of safe and reliable autonomous driving technology for semi-trucks. He's an experienced entrepreneur and formerly a special faculty at the National Robotics Engineering Center of Carnegie Mellon's Robotics Institute. Chetin has two decades of experience in developing and deploying complex robotic systems for commercial, military, and scientific applications. And he has played key roles in over a dozen high-profile applied robotics projects. He's a well-published expert in AI, robotics, and machine learning. Quite a resume, Chetin. <laughs> but it's great. And But before we start discussing today's topics, we would like to ask you a set of questions that we ask all of our guests so they get to know you better, right? So what makes you feel inspired? It's a great question. Um, it's hard to single out maybe a single source of inspiration, but every time I see a very simple and elegant solution to a problem, I feel very inspired. I'm, I'm one of these people who really uh, gets excited about less is more. So super complicated, big, ginormous things. I like them too, but every time I see something super simple, but super clever, yeah, that, that hits a different note. Yeah. yeah. Do you then think like in your everyday life, if you see something really complex, do you think, can I do this in some ways, a more simple oh, yeah. way? All, yeah. all the time, all the time. It It, it is... It uh, it's more like uh, yeah, creating a sculpture. It's it's uh, yeah. not about adding something, but it's more about like what what can I remove further? Mm. Yeah, for the true. for the right thing to remain. Yeah, yeah exactly. what is the main purpose of this? Exactly. Yeah. Do you have any people, books, or other resources that have been particularly influential for you? A lot. I mean, I, I deeply believe that we all are uh, the the average of five people around us or like whoever we get exposure to. And I've been extremely fortunate all my life to be around people way smarter than I am, way more informed, way more knowledgeable than I am. So I, I've been really, really fortunate to, to learn from them. Uh, a few uh, names, uh, particularly formative people, my, my PhD co-advisors, I had two co-advisors. One from uh, Boaz University in Turkey and one from Carnegie Mellon University in, in the United States. They were very different people from their styles point of view, but they both have been very formative on me. I, I owe them a lot of my thinking, my know-how, my approach in general. 
Uh, Rodney Brooks, uh, who is now Professor Emeritus, he was at uh, MIT. Uh, growing up, even as a, as a kid, the, the mo since the moment I, I heard about his name and his, his robotics work at MIT, he's been deeply uh, influential on me. His way of thinking has been deeply influential on me. Um, as for books, again, I, um, I love reading, so it's really difficult to pick one, but if I have to pick only one, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams is my all-time favorite. And again, a deep, deeply formative book uh, for me. Uh, places, I, as I said, uh, I've been very fortunate to, to be able to come and study and then professionally work at Carnegie Mellon's Robotics Institute. In, in my opinion, it is the literally the, the best place. It's the heaven for, for robotics and AI. Uh, that was very formative for me. I learned maybe not everything I know, but most of the things I know when I during my time there. Many many things to learn from yeah. and people. So. Yeah, I also like that book. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before I forget, another deeply deeply formative person in my life is my brother. We we work very closely together. He is uh, my co-founder at Locomation, mm -hmm. and he's our chief okay. technology officer. And uh, we've been. This is this is longest collaboration I've had, like coming <laughs> close to four decades now. Uh, it's it's been going well. Nice. And what's one thing that you would like to know when you began your career? I don't know. I mean, I, I've been deeply aware that I don't know pretty much anything when I first got interested in computers. <laughs> As a kid, I was maybe ten years old or so, and that's. Back in the uh, dark ages, I'm very old. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's in the 80s. Uh, so we are uh, in 80s in Turkey and, and computers. So there was no internet. There was very little uh, access to, to actual information. So we, I had to experiment a lot. And I had uh, access to very little pieces of information that I had to, uh, I don't know, extrapolate from there. Um, I think I've been deeply aware that there is just like a mountain of uh, body of knowledge to learn and I didn't know anything and I was aware of that. But maybe for the first couple of years I was not, uh, how to say, as disciplined to treat it as a like a formal branch of science and treat it as such. So I was more, I was more like an Edison than a Tesla, which still uh, played out okay for me, but if I could go back and step on the, the shoulders of that 10-year-old kid and give some advice, I would say that, yeah, maybe be a little a little bit more methodic and a little bit more in, informed. But okay. it, it's all fine. Yeah, but that could be a good tip for all the students listening to this. For sure. For yeah. sure. And then, what's a common myth about your profession or field that you would like to set straight? Uh, I'm really... Um, not happy about uh, the assumption these days around AI and robotics uh, that you can solve everything just by using more data and larger machine learning systems. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. The the amount of progress we've been making in in machine learning in the past five years, ten years is tremendous, but there is no one size fits all. There is no one sledgehammer that you can nail all the nails with. Uh, so I'm a little bit uh, frustrated with that, uh, that almost um, granted assumption that every time you talk about AI, people assume that you talk about deep learning and you talk about big data. 
that's one way of approaching to some problems with some success but um, ai and robotics is a very well established that very deep field with many 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 different methods and many different um, um, paradigms within it so i would like to just like asterisk that that it's not all about data and, and machine learning there are other things to learn yeah, yeah that's true and last and probably one of my my favorite question <laughs> tell us something interesting about yourself most people don't know a long time ago with my brother actually uh we we had a rock band and we, ah. <laughs> we used to make music i also had hair it's a small detail uh, <laughs> <back in> the, <laughs> that that kind of fit a little bit better to the like the rock theme uh, back in the day yeah like now now very few people know that but uh we had we had a lot of fun back in the day nice can we find these uh, some of these songs from somewhere you know internet is a a, a marvelous place <laughs> if you look deep enough i'm sure yep. there are little breadcrumbs here and there okay <laughs> but what what instrument did you play a uh, guitar nice yeah. cool okay well we're looking into that we'll see we'll, we'll see. try to find something <laughs> yes <laughs> But now let's get today today's topic. So chatting, let's start with your background and work in the field of robotics, robot learning, human robot interaction and collaboration. You have been involved in many projects and research. So how did you end up in the field of robotics? What made you interested in studying robotics? As I said, I mean, my interest in computers started at a rather early age and I, I started spending a significant amount of time trying to learn how to program the computers and that took a, a, a while but at some point i got to a point where i i i, I was very comfortable uh, explaining to a computer what the, what i wanted to do like writing a computer program and at some point it was not enough so i almost wanted the the computer to be able to make decisions and kind of surprise me have have its own authority about decision making. So I of course I didn't know the formal name, etc. But that's that's my first foray into learning and AI and having having machines quote unquote think on, on mm -hmm. their own. And then we, uh, very quickly that also turned into um uh another aspiration of like okay so if, even if the machines can think just them thinking and doing some something in silicon is is good but it's not as satisfying as having something embodied something physical to go around have yeah. its own decision making and do something in the real world so that that was like intelligent robots uh that that was a fast that became a fascinating subject to me pretty quickly and um early in my um very very early in my my career beginning of uh, my undergrad, actually, uh, I almost coincidentally stumbled upon a project at MIT about little toy robots uh, communicating with each other and making group decisions without explicitly thinking about a group decision. So it's, it's, they were almost like an ant colony around. And I was fascinated by the concept of distributed AI. And I said that moment and on that chair that I was sitting on, yeah, I'm going to spend the rest of my life on this. And nice. that was the beginning of my, my career. 
Yeah. It's pretty cool that you have a concrete moment that you can actually say that that was the moment when yeah. I realized that I'm interested in. Yeah. When I close my eyes, I can still see that day. Yeah. And I was in one of the shared computer labs and I, 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 can, I can see like where I was sitting. So it, it's very, very crisp. Nice. Very vivid. Yeah. So you have been focusing on human-robot interaction, but what does it mean? Why is it important to reach a yeah. human-robot interaction? It is, it is uh, kind of out of necessity and it is mm. inevitable. So if we are interested in building robots that do useful things around, unless we cage them, unless we completely isolate them from the rest of the humans, they have to be around humans. And you cannot be around humans and not interact with them. And uh, once we embrace the fact that people and robots should coexist for robots to be uh, actually useful to us, then uh, it opens up the, the gates of uh, a whole slew of different uh, possibilities, challenges, and applications. So it's a human-robot interaction can can happen in, in many different ways. It, is it the robot notifying the human what it's about to do? Is it the robot learning from human how it should do certain things? Is it robot and human cooperate somehow to accomplish a task together? So it could be a, a, many, many different things, and each of them are marvelous and very exciting in, in their own way. So I got to spend quite a bit of time in pretty much all of all of these these subjects that I. That's why it's again. That's why it's important. If we want to have uh, ubiquitous robotics applications, we cannot keep them in in a vacuum and away from the rest of us. Hence, we yeah. need to interact with them. Yeah, and I think it's also important to then learn how do we kind of react to the what kind of feedback we get from the robots. Well, but that's of course done the different side, but it's also like how do we react? And like you said, we need to kind of approve the fact that they are around as if we want to benefit from them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, um, you've been working with different a lot of different kinds of robotic projects. Have you been working with any Arduino robotic projects? Okay, um, not in the typical robotic sense, but yeah, I, I, I've done a lot of Arduino. Uh, programming uh, maybe several years ago, not very recently. I, unfortunately, I don't have too much time to do day-to-day uh, -day coding uh, these days, although I really want to get back to that as soon yeah. as possible. Um, yeah, I've done uh, a lot of Arduino programming, actually, uh, in, uh, in different applications, not necessarily the traditional robotics applications, but um, IoT, Internet of Things, and some embedded uh, um, applications, as well as proper interaction between high-level algorithms of robots and uh, the low-level control of a robotic platform. Mm. So Arduino, Arduino, actually several Arduinos, will mm -hmm. sit between the, uh, the top level of the autonomous uh, software, autonomous com computer, and uh, the actual motors and, and uh, controllers of the, the robot with um, P, uh, PWM signals, etc., being mm -hmm. generated by the Arduino. So, yeah, I've done a fair amount of that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a great way to get started if you're interested in robotics to learn a bit of that, getting the physical feedback, for, ex uh, for example. It is absolutely marvelous. Again, yeah. I, I wish we had... Arduino when I yeah. was growing up would have been so much more fun. 
and mm. uh, the um, amount of friction it removes from you and uh, realizing your idea is so valuable that probably most people it doesn't occur very naturally to most people but it's very important and this is maybe another like a note to 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 uh, to young followers uh, setting up a system setting up a, a working method so that you can actually try out new ideas as quickly as possible is extremely important for innovation so that it because nothing happens in one shot and nothing happens that that quickly you need to try out a lot of different ideas you need to tweak you need to tune you need to change and the time between you coming up with an idea and seeing the result of that idea is absolutely critical if it's i don't know five days that's one thing if it's five minutes it's another thing so mm. i think arduino plays um, an enormous role in making yeah. it accessible and yeah. making innovation faster it, it makes like you say the prototyping part super like easier and faster so yeah that's, that's a, it's a very good tool to get started too and uh, of course we have been talking about robotics and your experience when you were a student and now that you uh, have a company so how do you see the role of robotics in education again uh, if you want to live in a future where uh, there's prosperity where we are doing things in the most optimal way we are sparing people from the three d's uh, dull uh, dangerous and dirty uh, we need to uh, utilize machines we need to utilize intelligent machines intelligent robots to do those tasks for us sometimes in cooperation with people sometimes completely on their own so this is the the, the future and this is the way we will uh, we will take the civilization to its next level. Hence, it's inevitable. It's, uh, we cannot avoid uh, being around robots or being knowledgeable about robots. So having said that, of course, there is, uh, there is a, a kind of interest where you, uh, you kind of accept the inevitable. You roll your eyes, but say that I need to know a little bit about the robots so my future life is easier. That's, that's one end. The other end is that you are burning with passion to actually go help build that future. I think most uh, most of uh, the um, up and coming generation today will be in the latter. They will be passionate about the future. They will be passionate about doing things, not just differently for the sake of being different, but different in a better way. And uh, robotics, uh, at least an introduction to robotics curriculum is imperative to teach the, the up and coming generation that what is possible. And once they figure out the landscape, okay, so I can do this, I can do that, this is possible, this is possible, this is possible. If their hearts and their passion is in robotics, then they can go on and dig deeper and, and properly learn the field. But at least uh, they have this uh, introductory 101 level uh, now. I think that is very important for them to make an informed decision about their future. Yeah, yeah, I agree that you're more aware of what what is out there. Exactly. So you need some kind of introduction to it. Mm -hmm. uh, we have noticed an interesting detail from your LinkedIn profile, uh, and uh, you have been a member of different Ooh. RoboCup teams. 
uh, uh, two different or even more. Uh, can you tell us more about that experience? Yes. What kind of leagues and tasks did you have, and what did you learn from being a member uh, of the robot team? I, I have a, I have a very shady past, as you discovered. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, for for a really long time, many many years, I was uh, I was the leader of. Uh, well, back then it was the only Turkish uh, Robocop team. Um, we would um, compete in the Robocop standard platform. The Robocop, for, for those who don't know it, is the largest uh, robotics competition in the world. It's an international uh, competition. It's once a year. Uh, usually thousands of people and thousands of robots attend and compete in different flavors. But most of the flavors are centered around the concept of getting teams of robots to play soccer against each other. So uh, I've I've been uh, deeply involved with the uh, with the, uh, with our RoboCup team back in Turkey, and when I uh, in my PhD when I moved to CMU to do the other half of my studies, I became Darth Vader and I I switched sides and I joined the, the CMU team. So we even it's interesting. I think we even played against each other. So. I was with my new new team, but my heart was with my old team, so it was it was interesting. A little bit of a conflict, but I've learned so much. So uh, one of the important things about competing in a robotics competition and working on a complete robot system is that it teaches you the hard way how important uh, it is to think in terms of systems. Oftentimes, we are interested in one aspect of robotics or one aspect of whatever we are doing. Either you are interested in um, a planning or you are interested in motion or you are interested in perception. It's rare that you are interested in everything. Uh, but for a robot to be successful, you need everything in place. You cannot, you can have the best perception in the world, but if you don't have the rest of the system in place, you don't have a robot. So uh, working on Complete robotic systems is very, very uh, informative and very formative in general. Uh, so I can recommend that. And doing it in the context of a competition is even better because competitions have tight rules. They, uh, and hence with the tight rules, it comes um, benchmarking and it comes comparison. So you can basically take one system competing in the same uh, competition and compare it to another system because there's usually a score involved or there's a way of measuring success. So these are all uh, hidden, latent uh, ways of structuring the way we are thinking and bring some discipline and bring some methodology in in developing whatever we are developing. So surface, it's competition, it's fun, it's this, but. Uh, you will be surprised what it does to your thinking behind the scenes and set you for, hopefully for grander things later in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, having the constraints and then a common goal together with your team and a deadline even to actually make it. So it's a great, great way to work together with the, with other Absolutely. students too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good idea that teachers encourage the students to be part of these kind of competitions because, as you mentioned, it gave them maybe a totally different context and developing skills that probably you cannot do when you're at school building something. So you need to make decisions in that moment and work more closely with your with, uh, with your peers 
So yeah, that that's very interesting what you can get from get the being part of this kind of competition. So Chetin, you are the currently the CEO and co-founder of Locomation, which, as we mentioned at the beginning, is a company developing autonomous driving technology for semi trucks. So many of us might use daily, for example, subway trams and uh, that are able to drive without any drivers. And what is the current level of autonomy in the transportation today? So uh, as of today, we don't have uh, self-driving vehicles as products that you can go and purchase and you see thousands, if not tens of thousands of them around you. We are still not there yet. What we have is at this stage, advanced prototypes. And at Locomation, we are about a year away from launching our first product that people can actually go and purchase our system. And uh, when they purchase it, our system makes their trucks self-driving. Um, so it is borderline sci-fi, but it's actually happening. It's, it's reality. And now we understand way better than uh, we did as an industry maybe 10 years ago, what it takes to actually build a product. What are the, uh, what are the actual challenges that are not very apparent on surface? Because when, you, when everybody was starting to think about self-driving vehicles, everybody was more um, excited because that's the fun part on how do we develop the algorithms? How do we come up with a, a computer vision system that can detect everything is around? How do we turn the steering wheel? How do we control the motion of the, the vehicle? And these are very, very good, very legit questions. But um, what we found out in the past decade is that uh, in order to build a product and launch a product and support a product, you need to also think about which parts of my product will fail. Can I predict the failure rate? Can I come up with maintenance routines? Can I build hardware that will stay operational even if parts of it fails? And these are um, not completely novel concepts. We have been doing complex engineering for aerospace, but we've, we have, we've had space shuttles and we've had airplanes. So these are all tremendously complicated engineering systems. So there are some best practices around that, but it took a while for, for the industry to, to take something that sounds so Silicon Valley-ish, just software and, and innovation, and marry it with seemingly archaic, maybe old-fashioned, but super important, proper engineering practices. And now we are seeing these two ants uh, kind of coming and merging. Uh, there's still a lot of work to do, but this time I can, at least for my company, I can tell you that we are this close to actually launching a product and in, in next year, hopefully, um, if nothing changes, we will be the first company to offer a a truly autonomous um, system as a product. Okay. Wow. And you say maybe next year, but is it the one you mentioned, the locomotion solution for trucks, uh, the autonomous relay convos that you're talking about? Yes. Yes. We okay. believe the first viable application of autonomy from a safety and reliability point of view is going to be the human guided convoys, the autonomous yep. relay convoy that we mentioned on our website. Uh, this way, we can tap into the, the best uh, uh, talents or the best parts of experienced human drivers and 
and the best parts of machines, whatever the machines can do today, combine it with whatever the humans do best today. And uh, the, it's, it again goes back to our early conversation about human-robot interaction because now we have a human and now we have a robot. In fact, in this case, we have two humans and two robots team up uh, to drive a convoy around the clock so that the convoy doesn't have to stop. It can operate for, I don't know, 1,500 kilometers a day without mm -hmm. stopping. Uh, and uh, the human driver in the front truck as the lead driver can still understand, perceive high level um, what's going on in the uh, road, if there is a risk, if there is a danger, that it is still difficult for the machines to, to understand and interpret. And once we know what is going on around the world, machines can actually react faster than humans to the, yeah. the actual dangers. So we, we think this is the uh, uh, quickest and safest way of getting autonomy from the labs and out there into the real world. And then once we are there, of course, the technology will not stop. We'll keep working on it. And maybe eventually uh, the trucks will completely drive themselves with no human around them. To see how the autonomous trucks work and how to build a life-following car with Arduino components, watch our Edivision episode 3 on Thursday 23rd of September at 5pm Central European Summertime on Arduino's YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook and Crowdcast page. You can see the episode afterward and all the links for this episode and the previous ones you'll find from the arduino.cc slash education slash edivision. Now, let's continue our conversation about self-driving cars with Chetin Merichli. So you mentioned that one of the benefits of semi-autonomous vehicles now is safety. What other benefits do you see and what about the challenges? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the benefits of self-driving? Mm -hmm. uh, especially in the freight transportation, if anything, uh, the, the past two years showed us is that if, how the future will depend on autonomous freight transportation. With the pandemic, we all were forced to stay at homes and started ordering most of the things online. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if we are not going to things, if you are not going to supermarket to buy toothpaste, somehow the toothpaste needs to find its way to your home. Uh, we were expecting this big trend to happen. Over time, people will commute less and things will have to come to people, but the pandemic uh, maybe accelerated it by five, maybe 10 years. So now everybody wants to ship more stuff around, wants more visibility, more uh, reliability around the delivery times and wants to pay less for it. The, the demand is accelerating, but there is a growing driver shortage worldwide especially in the long-haul trucking, because long-haul trucking is one of the most demanding professions out there. And for the amount of um, tax that it takes on your lifestyle, it, it's not even a very attractive line of business because it does not pay that well. So as a result, uh, fewer people uh, decide to become truck drivers or stay as truck drivers. So we have an accelerating demand on one end, and a shrinking pool of drivers at the other end. So there's a big uh, stress point there. Uh, one way of filling that is, of course, introducing autonomy in a safe and responsible way so that wherever we, have, we are short in human drivers, we can fill that gap with autonomous driving, have technology 
help the human drivers become more efficient and safer drivers, improve comfort, improve safety, improve working conditions, and see that transition towards more and more automated uh, freight transportation in the future. It's, and it's also a very interesting career path for, for students, right? This is very promising. This is very interesting. So We are living in the future. It's almost exactly. 2022. The future is here, like they say. The future <laughs> yes. is here. Exactly. So students are not, they're not uh, studying to be truck drivers, but instead they're studying to build or develop the, the self-driving. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, yeah. Now it's a possibility for them to be creators, right? Not just participate, like be really part of, of that, of building that. Of course, this is a this is a multi generational problem. Mm -hmm. We are working on the precursors of this technology and what will be uh, uh, launched, uh, what will be uh, released is going to be the very first versions, and it's by no means going to be perfect or the, the ultimate solution. So there is decades of work still to be done in, in automating transportation, not just semi-trucks, but in all kinds of transportation, because ultimately we are interested in getting things or people from point A to point B. We are less interested in being directly involved in that transportation task. If we can just uh, flip a switch and everything will move from point A to point B, a lot of people will be very, very happy. So, yeah. there, but we are, we really decades away from that point. Mm -hmm. So for for our again young followers who are considering studying in the field or working on, on a similar technology, they have a lifetime of a set of very challenging problems to work on. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for a student who is interested in career and career related to self driving cars and autonomous vehicles? Get their hands dirty. So it's yeah. very easy to start these days. It's it's very different than when when we I started uh, yeah. as a as a young enthusiastic uh, person. Um, internet is wonderful. It's full of information. Of course, uh, not all pieces of information are true or or high quality. So learning how to filter out what is actually useful is is something that they need to learn as quickly as possible. Uh, looking for ways to start experimenting with uh, with anything really. It has to start from somewhere. Start with the most simple project that you can ever imagine. It could be just on a computer in a simulation, or it could be an Arduino-based robot that you can actually see around. You can touch with your hands, and then you press the button. It's going to go and do some some things on its own. That's that the, the joy and pleasure of that is I cannot explain. It. People need to experience it for themselves. Try it and then try it differently and fail and then fail differently and learn and go sleep and wake up and rinse and repeat. So this is, uh, nothing is easy. If if anyone wants to uh, actually learn a field, not just robotics, but almost any field, if you want to become a really accomplished piano player, you need to put in 10,000 hours. The sooner they can start putting in their 10,000 hours into robotics, if they want to become a robotics person, mm -hmm. The better for them yeah that would be my yeah. recommendation yeah yeah that's a good point like if you're interested in something put uh, put your effort to it then actually yeah put your time to it uh, related to the like you mentioned there for example if you want to get started with arduino robotics we have for example now the cdc go motions uh, 
package or the, the educational kit where you get to build your own wickler that follows light. So it's like a self-driving car in that sense, but it follows a light. So anyone who's interested to learn more about motors and this kind of technology, I recommend that kit. Yeah, and, and also if you don't know Project Hub, Google it Project Hub and you will find there like tons of inspiration and projects. So there's a category called self-driving car. And you can see a bunch of projects, instructions, all the materials you need to get started uh, building your own uh, uh, your own self-driving driving cars. So yeah, try that out. So there's some recommendations for for teachers and students listening to us. But Chetin, it's been really great to talk with you. Do you have any final thoughts or recommendations that you would like to share with our audience? I think we I think we covered a lot of uh, fascinating subjects. Uh, Again, uh, all I can say is that uh, if you are passionate about the subject, just just stay curious and just look for information and get your hands dirty. Yeah, that's true. And uh, is there somewhere that our audience can find you if they want to contact you or watch what you're doing? Um, the uh, website for Locomation is uh, locomation, with an A, locomation.ai. Uh, they can uh, find us on, on uh, LinkedIn, on Twitter. They can find me on Twitter. If they type my name, I think Twitter will, will tell them where, where yes, I am. Will. Uh, I'm not as active on Twitter these days as, as I used to be. But uh, yeah, these, these two venues, LinkedIn and Twitter, are where we are most active about uh, about latest and greatest uh, in, in Locomation's upcoming technology. Uh, so feel free to uh, follow us there. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was very interesting, very informative. Thank you so much for joining and see you soon. That was a great delight for me. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, we're waiting for that first uh, self-driving yes. truck. <laughs> yeah, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. See you. Bye. Bye. Next week, we will have a very interesting conversation about IoT with André Roussel, an IoT expert and teacher from Canada. Yeah, don't miss that out. And then remember to check the live episode with Dean, including a project, uh, a light following vehicle, airing on September 23rd at 5 p.m. Central European Summer Time. And of course, uh, join our social media channels and chat with us, tell us about what you think about this self-driving topic. And remember that we are live on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Yeah, and if you have your own Arduino project that you would like to share with us, please do that on our Eduvision site, arduino.cc slash education slash Eduvision. Thank you. See you. See you. Bye.